You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish current affairs and culture show. Welcome to the program. Nice to be with you once again. And uh, in the show today, we are starting off the first of what I hope will be a number of shows dedicated to the founding of the State of Israel and talking about how it was created, this being the 70th year of Israel. So uh, we're, we're very excited to be doing uh, this on the show in terms of getting uh, the history, really, of, of Israel across to people who may not have been around. And what better way to start off a series such as this than with none other than Smokey or Harold Smokey Simon. He was a, a, a fighter pilot in the early years of uh, the start of the state and really at the beginning of the IAF and a Machal volunteer amongst the 800 South Africans that fought uh, for the creation of Israel. And I'm really, really pleased and honored that he is spending some time with us today to talk about his experiences. Smokey, thank you so much for being with us on 101.9 Chai FM. It's my pleasure, Benji. So, uh, for for a starter, you you were a fighter, a bomber pilot. Excuse me. You you were very involved uh, in both World War Two and the Independence War. But before we get into that, what got you into flying in the first place? Firstly, I'd like to make correction. Yes, I wasn't a um, fighter pilot. I was a navigator bombardier. Uh, that was my um, uh, my profession, as it were. Uh, in the South African Air Force. Okay, correct. Well, um, you will recall that um, World War II started in uh, September 1939. And um, I was at university at Wits at that time. And uh, interestingly, the government of South Africa took a decision that no student in his final year would be allowed to enlist. He had to complete his finals, which uh, turned out to be an absolute blessing. So I finished my um, finals. Uh, I had uh, two degrees, a BCom and a Chartered Accountant, South Africa. And uh, the moment I finished my last examination and put my pen down, uh, I signed up. Uh, with the South African Air Force. And I was trained as a navigator bombardier. And uh, uh, as you will remember, uh, World War II um, uh, came to an end in, uh, in 1945 when uh, Germany surrendered uh, uh, in May. And uh, Japan surrendered in August. So, Smokey, can you can you tell me what what is it? What was your role on the plane? What is it that you did in in, in terms of of, of well, your function? Well, um, uh, I was in uh, in bomber command. You know, there's fighter command and bomber command and coastal command and so forth. So, my first tour of operations was with bomber command, and there uh, the in in the um, uh, capacity of a navigator bombardier, uh, we were really responsible uh, on a bomber aircraft uh, for the navigation and then really for attacking the target, 
we were the guys who really dropped the bombs. So that was my function in um, uh, in the South African Air Force, and uh, I was um, uh, discharged at the end of, in November 1945 after five years of service. Uh, after I had completed um, my uh, first what we call tour of operations uh, in Bomber Command, I was then transferred uh, to Coastal Command. And that involved um, uh, submarine hunting and uh, uh, ship escorts and uh, uh, naval reconnaissance, etc. So what were your theatres of operation? Where did you fly during World War II? Uh, well, um, in Bomber Command, I was mainly uh, in um, in North Africa, um, where um, a lot of um, uh, South Africans were engaged, uh, both in the ground forces and in the air force. We were really part of what was called the Desert Air Force. Uh, the the uh, air officer commanding was. Uh, was British, and there were a number of um, uh, Dominion uh, air crews. When I say Dominion, that was South Africa, uh, Canada, uh, Australia, and Britain. And um, uh, that was the the main, um, um, I should say, uh, engagement uh, where I was concerned was really as part of the Desert Air Force. Uh, you will remember that the uh, the German commander was uh, was uh, an amazingly uh, uh, effective guy. He was uh, Rommel, uh, and um, uh, the uh, the German uh, uh, the German uh, objective was really to get to the oil fields in the Middle East. And that's why the war in North Africa was of critical importance. And, and, and you were actually you, involved uh, with you, the Battle of Al Alamein, is that correct? Uh, that exactly. Was a crucial, crucial I, was just about to, I was just about to refer to that, that the Battle of El Alamein was really the first serious Allied victory in World War Two, you know the war started in September '39, and uh, El Alamein took place in October, 1942. Three years later, and that was really the first serious Allied victory in World War Two, uh, and um, it was really a question of um, uh, driving the um, the German army. Uh, out of North Africa, and uh, so we moved from Egypt and then into Libya and then into Tunisia and then into Malta and then into Sicily and then into Italy, and at that stage I completed my first tour of operations, and uh, uh, happily uh, I I came out... uh, uh, unharmed, and uh, after a month's leave, um, I did a training course in Coastal Command uh, in Britain, 
uh, England and Scotland at the time. And uh, I did my second tour of operations, as I said, in um, in um, uh, Coastal Command. And, um, uh, and again, I would remind you that uh, the war actually uh, was completed, uh, or rather against Germany, in uh, May 1945. Our squadron was then gearing up to go to the Far East in the war against Japan. And then the, uh, the uh, Americans really uh, uh, were responsible for the concluding uh, drama of uh, dropping the, uh, the atomic bombs on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Can, can and I that ask you, was uh, the is, end is... of the, uh, the war against Japan. And I was discharged hmm. from the Air Force in November 1945. Smoky. I had to for five years. Okay. I wanted to ask you just on the Japan issue. You know, a lot of what I think people know about a bombing aircraft comes from movies like Pearl Harbor that, you know, was related to uh, the war in Japan. But, but can you give us a sense about what is it like to be inside a bombing airplane if you are you know bombing a target in a desert or, or hunting a submarine is it nerve-wracking is it dangerous what is it like to actually be inside uh, one of these machines when, when you're on a, a mission such as this uh, Benji I would say that um, there was always a feeling of tension uh, you know here I would I would introduce the fact that uh, 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 you know, um, in South Africa, we had a number of uh, of um, German refugees who had come out to South Africa, and uh, when I heard their stories of, and this is before we knew anything about the Holocaust, but when I heard the stories of the anti-Semitism uh, in Germany and the, the oppression uh, of the Jews, uh, I developed a, a deep hostility towards the Germans. Uh, I felt that whatever I could do to, um, uh, to damage, uh, in fact, to kill the Germans, um, was really a, a, um, a responsibility on my part to in a small way to make up for what they had done to the to the Jewish people, so you know my feelings were probably different, were surely different to the feelings of a, of a non-Jew who was um, who was involved in the fighting, uh, and um, uh, when we come on to the story of of uh, uh, Israel, it was really uh, an extension of that, uh, you might call it, uh, emotional uh, motivation that, um, that I had uh, in uh, inflicting as much damage as in my small way uh, I could really do to the, 
to the uh, to the Germans. So actually, let's come on to that, Smokey, and, and talk about what happened uh, with Israel. You, you finished your your tour of duty uh, doing uh, World War Two, uh, working in the in the uh, both the desert and the the water, the aqua divisions, uh, and then you came back to South Africa. So so what made you realize that there was going to be a, a conflagration in the Middle East that you had to get involved in? And and please tell us a story also about how you slept along your fiance at the time as well. You know, after the war, like all other ex-servicemen, uh, I was rehabilitating myself. I opened a, a small office in Joburg. And uh, then we saw the um, uh, the war clouds gathering over Palestine. Um, the United Nations uh, decision on the issue of partition uh, was in November 1947, and uh, it was really became clear that there was going to be a war in um, uh, in uh, Palestine. Um, the South African Zionist Federation, uh, they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, they started uh, recruiting. Uh, veterans from World War II uh, to um, to go to Israel to uh, uh, to uh, to uh, fight against the Arabs, and then there was the Jewish ex-servicemen's league, of the guys who had fought in World War II, and uh, uh, you know we were a small community uh, in South Africa, really, when you think 120,000 souls. Uh, and so there was close contact between uh, the guys uh, who had who had uh, served and uh, uh, who were rehabilitating themselves. And when the United Nations resolution was taken in November 1947, uh, the war clouds uh, were gathering. There was no doubt that there was going to be um, uh, uh, the the conflict. Uh, in the Middle East. So um, uh, I was engaged at the time to uh, to my wife, Myra. Uh, she had served in the South African Air Force. Uh, she had been trained as a meteorologist. And um, we discussed the matter. And uh, I said, you know, we'll have to postpone our wedding uh, because I'm going to... Um, I'm going to Palestine. And she said, well, uh, I'm also going to Palestine. So we got married, and uh, we were really in the first group of uh, South Africans under the auspices of the Zionist Fed. Uh, you may recall the name of Simon Weinstein, uh, who was really a key player in uh, in recruiting guys, he was a wonderful fellow, and uh, uh, as I said, uh, Myra and I were in the first group of South Africans. Uh, we arrived in Palestine on the ninth um, uh, of May, forty-eight. Uh, we uh, uh, it was quite an interesting. The flight took us six days. Uh, because we were held up in Cyprus, 
the captain of the aircraft said, look, they're, they're fighting at Lydda Airport, and uh, I can't fly there as had been arranged uh, because I can't endanger my passengers and the aircraft. And um, you've got to find some other means of getting to Palestine. So um, uh, we negotiated with a, um, uh, an aviation company in Cyprus, and they agreed to uh, fly us to Haifa. And we said, that's fine. And uh, when we arrived in Haifa, there was tremendous activity uh, because the British Army was evacuating at that time. And uh, you probably remember there were uh, 80,000 uh, British troops uh, in Palestine. And uh, uh, we were a little bit concerned that if they um, uh, arrested us or, uh, or prevented us as uh, from coming to Palestine, uh, because Myra, my wife, had some important documents uh, which she had hidden in a girdle uh, for Ben-Gurion. And we thought that if we're going to be searched, uh, there could be trouble. But the British were preoccupied with their uh, evacuation, so that passed off very peacefully. Sorry, uh, I apologize to interrupt the great discussion. I just, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to hear uh, uh, more about your story. We're talking to uh, Harold Smokey Simon uh, today about uh, the creation of the Israel Air Force, amongst others. You arrived in, in Israel with uh, your wife and you had a special delivery for Ben-Gurion. What was your next move? We arrived on the 9th and we signed on for service in the Air Force on the 10th of May. And uh, uh, if one uh, looks at the historical uh, perspective at the time, the decade of the 1940s uh, was uh, just a, a tremendous confluence of um, of momentous events. Uh, there was the the uh, the Holocaust, which we became aware of, and then there was the termination of the British Mandate over Palestine, which was due to terminate on the night uh, of the 14th, 15th May. Uh, then there was a declaration of the State of Israel and then uh, on the 14th of May. And uh, on that same day, uh, the first Arab country army to attack Israel was the Jordanian army, also known as the the Arab Legion, which had been uh, trained by the British and and uh, supplied by the British with uh, with armament and led by the British, uh, that was the first Arab army to attack Israel, and uh, and so the War of Israel, uh, the War of Independence, really started. Now, but, as part of uh, that, you were that, actually involved with a range of different uh, missions, uh, you know, in, in terms of the Israeli airport, including bombing both Egypt and Syria. What, what was the idea behind that? I'll really come to that 
in um, uh, in just a few minutes, if you don't mind, Benji, because sure. um, uh, I was dealing with the with a historical perspective, and as I said, the war started on the 14th of May uh, with the uh, attack by the Jordanian army. Mm-hmm. And on the 15th, on uh, uh, Saturday, the 15th of May, five other armies uh, attacked Israel. Uh, there was Egypt and uh, Iraq, uh, Syria, Lebanon, and uh, Kaukchi. And uh, uh, the War of Independence, and uh, uh, I'd just like to make a few interesting uh, and important points there. The War of Independence was Israel's longest war. It lasted from the 14th of May, 48, to the 7th of January, 49, eight months. It was Israel's costliest war. Uh, we lost 6,300 uh, military and, and, and uh, uh, civilians, apart from thousands who were disabled and injured. And it was Israel's most fateful war. If we had lost that war, uh, we wouldn't be having our interview today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, these are the points that I'd really like to from the uh, historical and the and the Jewish point of view. So, uh, if I can continue along that line, uh, there was an enormous uh, military imbalance in uh, in favour of the Arabs. Uh, Egypt, for example, had sixty two uh, Spitfire uh, aircraft. Uh, which was, as you may know, one of the iconic um, um, combat planes in World War Two. Uh, the uh, the Jordanian army had been supplied by the British, the Syrians, and the Libyans, uh, and the Lebanese had been supplied by the French. Uh, Israel did not have a single combat aircraft at the time, and not a single anti-aircraft gun. Now, um, uh, and then to add to the problem, the United Nations uh, imposed uh, an arms embargo on the Middle East, which really uh, uh, mainly affected, um, affected Israel. And in addition to that, the American government passed the Neutrality Act, which made it a serious offense to export military equipment without um, uh, official permits. So Israel had a range of uh, of uh, uh, institutions against us. The United Nations observers, the FBI, the CIA, uh, MI6, Scotland Yard. Uh, you see, these are all, uh, uh, I think, tremendously important factors in, uh, when we really try to analyze what happened in 1948. Uh, I think you may agree with me, Benji. Uh, absolutely, Smokey. I mean, I think 
if you look at the historical context of, of the kind of stuff that you're uh, involved in, it's, it's almost miraculous in some ways that, uh, that, that Israel survived at all. And, uh, 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 quite in- incredible. And, and, and what I'd really love to hear from you, you know, uh, I think that for a lot of people, this sort of stuff is, is sometimes dry and in the history books and to have the opportunity to speak to someone who actually lived it I think is is a, is a real sort of honor and opportunity for us uh, here in in Johannesburg so I, what I'd love to hear from you is like you know what was it like what what kind of things did you have to get involved in against all of these odds well you see um, uh, I should just mention that there were uh, 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 predictions of of doom, um, the American Secretary of State George Marshall, he said that it was a grave mistake and irresponsible for Israel to declare its its independence. Uh, this war is going to be over in two weeks' time. Uh, Ernest Bevan, who was a rabid anti-Semite, who was a foreign minister in Britain at the time, uh, his prediction was also two weeks. And um, uh, Montgomery, the uh, uh, who was then a field marshal, he said that when the British flag is lowered over Palestine, the Jews are going to be wiped out. And... Uh, uh, Abdul Azam Pasha, the um, uh, Secretary General of the Arab League, uh, said, uh, uh, if the Zionists dare declare a state, the massacre that would be unleashed against them would dwarf what Hitler had done to the Jewish people, and that this was going to be a war of extinction. Hmm. So, all those uh, predictions of of doom, uh, um, you know, as far as the top echelon in Israel uh, was concerned, was certainly very, very disconcerting. And then um, uh, the war started badly. Um, by the way, on the on Friday, the fourteenth of May, at the very time that Ben Gurion was declaring the state. Uh, I had the privilege of flying on the very first mission of the Israel Air Force. Um, Boris Senior, also an ex-South uh, African, uh, Machnik, uh, was a pilot, and I was the uh, the navigator. And we had an Israeli um, uh, aerial photographer, and we had to our mission was to do a reconnaissance uh, over Jordan and to report to the staff of, uh, of uh, the Israel army as to the um, of the of the Jordanians and they were uh, equipped with tanks and armored cars and artillery and troops and trucks uh, and in fact they had already overrun the Etzion block, which they burnt down to the ground, and um, uh, we we were uh, became aware subsequently that uh, 240 um, uh, military and civilians were killed and 420 taken prisoners of war. So uh, 
that was the the um, situation uh, that we saw on the 14th of of May, and uh, uh, Jerusalem was under the siege. Uh, the Jordanians had uh, cut off uh, the the road between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Uh, there was a shortage of water and food and uh, armaments. And then um, uh, the Israel army made a n- number of um, attacks on the fortress at Latrun, uh, which had been handed over by the British uh, to the Jordanian army, very strategically situated. And uh, then there was the Egyptian air force, which was bombing uh, Tel Aviv day after day and strategic targets in Israel, and we had nothing to stop it. And uh, the Egyptian army had uh, overrun uh, the kibbutzim in the south, and they had advanced up to Ashdod, which is 30 kilometers from Tel Aviv. Uh, the situation was desperately serious. Um, Shimon Avidan, who was the commander of the uh, uh, of the uh, Israeli forces on that front, he was in a desperately difficult uh, situation. Uh, he said that unless there was uh, an air attack uh, to stop the Egyptians. They would be in Tel Aviv on the next day, uh, 30th of May, where the provisional government was, uh, was uh, seated, and, uh, and the war would be over. And all those uh, uh, dire predictions uh, really looked as though they were going to come to pass. And on that date, uh, there was an absolute miracle. Uh, believe me, uh, Benji, the uh, the Almighty uh, intervened on Israel's part. What had happened was that the first four aircraft uh, were assembled in Israel. And uh, how did we get those aircraft? Now, this is something which is terribly important. The one and only country that came to Israel's aid was Czechoslovakia. We owe Czechoslovakia a deep and unforgettable uh, um, uh, uh, debt uh, because they saved the state of Israel. Nothing less than that. They saved the state of Israel. Um, we had bought 25 Avia 199 aircraft, which was popularly referred to as the Czechoslovakian Messerschmitt. It was far inferior to the to the German model, but in any event, uh, you might you will ask, how did we get these four aircraft? Well, that's a fantastic story. So, Benji, uh, you know, I'm just leading you into uh, the momentum of events to uh, to try and illustrate uh, 
the situation at the time and how it developed. Is that okay with you, Benji? Mm, absolutely, Smokey. It's uh, you know fascinating to, to hear the history. We're actually just going to take a, another short break, and when we come back, I, I want to hear that. I want to hear that story. I want to hear about. Uh, um, uh, I, want, I want to hear about some of the other missions uh, as well as some of the other personalities. We're talking to Smokey Simon today. Uh, he uh, was uh, one of the first uh, missions of uh, the Israeli Air Force um, back uh, in 1948. How, how crazy is that? We're, we'll be back uh, just, after, just after this. Stay relevant and up to date. This is one oh one point nine high FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review and we're talking to Smokey Simon. Uh he uh, was one of the original uh, pilots uh, or, or involved with the pilot uh in in uh, in the Israel Air Force and a South African and we're talking to him because this year is the seventieth anniversary of Israel. Now now Smokey uh, you were saying just before the break uh, about these planes. Can you tell us a story of how you got them into Israel? Let me introduce the uh, the subject of Mahal. I um, I told you how um, uh, the very uh, serious situation which was prevailing at the time, and um, we came to the 29th of May when the Egyptian army had advanced. They had overrun the kibbutzim in the south. And they had reached Asdod, uh, 30 kilometers from Tel Aviv. And the, uh, the deep concern of the commander of the Israel forces on that front. So we really now come to the, to the, the Machal story. Now, uh, as you know, Machal is really an acronym uh, for Mitnadre Chutz Laaretz. Um, uh, volunteers from abroad. Uh, there were 4,800 uh, Machaniks who came to help Israel over the uh, the period of the war. They weren't there weren't um, uh, 4,800 at any one moment, but they came in different stages across the war. Uh, they came from 59 countries. And they included 168 non-Jews. Now, uh, the importance of Mahal uh, cannot be uh, overstated. Uh, these guys had the experience that they had acquired in World War II. Uh, Israel had the Haganah, uh, which was a very well uh, a trained uh, a military force under the uh, uh, limited circumstances at the time. But here you had uh, uh, thousands of volunteers who came with the, uh, uh, with the knowledge and the, uh, and the experience of World War II. Um, the the uh, uh, Air Force was mainly from the United States and South Africa and Britain and Canada. Um, now, there were some very outstanding personalities. Uh, Mickey Marcus, who had been a colonel in the American Army, 
um, was um, um, uh, put in charge of the Jerusalem Front, and he was responsible for building the Burma Road, uh, which was a second road uh, between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, because the main road had, as I said, been cut off by the Jordanians. Uh, unfortunately, he was tragically killed, and uh, posthumously, he was awarded the rank of Aluf, which was the highest rank in the um, Israel army, uh, which uh, Aluf is the equivalent of what we call a full general in, uh, in um, uh, our terms. And in fact, and there were was... South Africans as well. Um, um, Cecil Margot, for example, was very involved with the Air Force. Yeah. Well, uh, let me say this, that Cecil, um, Cecil was a very experienced guy. Uh, to this day, I regret that he turned down uh, Ben-Gurion's uh, offer of commanding the Air Force. And um, but, um, uh, you know, he gave advice. Uh, it's all very well giving advice of uh, what the Air Force structure should be. Uh, the uh, bomber division and the fighter division and the transport division and the reconnaissance division and so forth. But what do you do when you don't have those aircraft? Mm -hmm. Theoretically, that's that's a great setup, but from a practical point of view, those were the problems. The Air Force had two formidable problems. The Air Force, the the how do you acquire aircraft? And when you do acquire them, how do you get them to Israel? Those were the main problems. Cecil, uh, no man uh, under the sun could have said, this is the solution to it. Now, as I said, Czechoslovakia played such an important role. So, to get back to the Mahonics, Al Schwimmer was a flight engineer in the American Air Force in World War II. He was a man of tremendous vision and, uh, and courage. This guy smuggled 11 C-46 huge transport aircraft, two Skymasters, three Constellations, and four B-17 heavy bombers out of the United States of America. It's amazing. It's quite uh, incredible. Yeah. And where, and, and where, where did they take these aircraft? Oh, they were smuggled out? to Czechoslovakia, the only base in the world that they, could, that they could take these aircraft to. And then they flew on the most circuitous routes in order to shake off the FBI and the CIA. In fact, one of the bombers was, was uh, arrested and impounded by the FBI, and out of the four huge... Uh, B-17 bombers, we lost 25% of the bomber force. Wow. That's, uh, it's quite incredible, Smokey, to, to think about what lengths people had to go to to get the weapons needed to defend the state. Uh, smuggling whole planes is 
it's quite remarkable. We're, we're, we're talking to Smokey Simon today on 101.9 KFM. Uh, he's, he's talking to us about the creation of the Israel Air Force, which he was very much a part. Uh, Smokey, just in the interest of time, because we are coming towards the end of the show, I do want to get the, uh, the stories uh, from you about how uh, you, you bombed uh, Damascus and uh, Egypt, uh, including not even using real bombs, using bottles and, and all this sort of thing. Why would you do something like that? I was talking about Al Schwimmer. Yes, yes, and yes. And we set up this air bridge, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we called that uh, that organization uh, Air Transport Command, uh, which was parallel to the Israel Air Force. So you had the Air Force, mm-hmm. and you had Air Transport Command. So, so and these uh, aircraft were, were the um, uh, components of the Alveas, were flown to Israel. And the first four aircraft were, the the reassembly was completed on the 29th of May. So Benji, I want to remind you, the Egyptian army was 30 kilometers from Tel Aviv on the 29th of May. By the 29th of May, four aircraft had been reassembled in the utmost secrecy uh, uh, because we wanted to uh, to conceal the fact from the Egyptians that Israel uh, uh, had acquired these aircraft. Were you working with El to to actually get these things into the country? Yes. And then that's why you were creating this parallel structure to the to the air force as a way uh, of of, of smuggling the planes. That's correct. And as I said, because of those aircraft, we were able to establish an air bridge between Czechoslovakia and Tel Nof Air Base in Israel. So they were, dis- the aircraft were dissembled in Czechoslovakia, packed into the C-46s and Skymasters and flown over to Israel and then reassembled in Israel. We had some Czech mechanics and South Africans and uh, Machal uh, and Israelis, and these aircraft were assembled. And because of the utmost secrecy in concealing this from the Egyptians, these aircraft were not even test flown, and their armaments uh, uh, weren't uh, 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 checked because of secrecy. And these four aircraft went into action on the 29th of May in an airstrike against the Egyptian army. Now, they were led, the formation of four aircraft um, was led by Lou Lennart, who had been a, um, a fighter pilot in the Marine Air Force of the United States during World War II. And then there was a South African by the name of Eddie Cohen, who unfortunately was killed in this attack. And two Israelis, two very well-known Israelis, Aza Weitzman and Modi Alon. And they, uh, 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 Lou Lennart, in his first attack, he uh, uh, spotted a um, a petrol bowser, and he bombed it. And this thing uh, had made a tremendous explosion. 
and started widespread fires. And the four aircraft did uh, 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 four runs over the target. They, every bullet and, and cannon shell was fired on the Egyptians. The Egyptians were absolutely stunned. They were destabilized. They started dispersing. And they never advanced beyond Ashdod. And when when you're next in Israel and you travel south, out at uh, the entrance to Ashdod, there's a large sign which says, Ad Halom, up to here. <laughs> and that's where the Egyptian army was stopped. And uh, uh, Tel Aviv was saved and the state of Israel was saved. And, and did you and ever fly any... Were, we, were you involved uh, with the actual flying of those missions, or were you just involved with getting all the planes... No, uh, no. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, I, I had uh, uh, actually in, uh, in, in June of 1948, uh, I was appointed Chief of Air Operations of the Air Force. Oh. So I wasn't involved in, um, uh, as an as a, a, a air crew at all, but of course I was involved in the uh, uh, in the general picture at the time. Right. And so that uh, I say was an absolute miracle that on the 29th of May, Israel had these four combat aircraft which had been completed, which had not been tested. The risk of flying these aircraft was was enormous. It's unheard of that you don't test fly the aircraft and that you don't test the armament uh, uh, capabilities. But because of secrecy, it was decided uh, this is uh, 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 a risk we're going to take. And, uh, and the State of Israel and the War of Independence was saved on the 29th of May, 1948. This was one of the greatest moments in the history of the Israel Air Force for all time. Smokey, and you it's, see, it's, these facts uh, really are, uh, they're not known. They're not known by, you know, uh, by a point oh 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 two percent of the population. And so today I give lectures to, uh, uh, to units in the Army and to the Air Force. These guys are, are stunned when they really hear how we survived this war. That's it was an absolute miracle, like the biblical uh, miracles I'm telling you, Benji. No, Smokey, it's absolutely yeah, amazing. Uh, on that day, those four aircraft. Smokey, uh, I, we, we've actually just, uh, it's incredible, I could speak to you all day, but uh, we, we've actually come to the end of the, the show for today, so perhaps we'll have to do uh, another episode with you where we can uh, chat further about uh, some of your other exploits. But thank you so much for coming on the show uh, with us today and telling us uh, some of these early stories about uh, the, the War of Independence. It's my pleasure, Benji. I'm... I'm uh, happy to uh, to really uh, uh, narrate what uh, what happened to our little country, and um, when you think of it, 70 years ago, uh, we were really on the cusp of uh, of uh, the uh, one of the greatest disasters in in Jewish history.
No, absolutely. Because, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, all those events that I've told you about uh, in the 1948 decade was a pinnacle of 2,000 years of Jewish history. Yeah, And the big question was, how was that pinnacle going to end? And thank God uh, it ended in uh, in victory. Uh, it was uh, un- unheard of, unparalleled uh, uh, victory in the War of Independence when you think how Israel started off. So... Um, uh, that, in brief, is uh, is really the story up to that point. Uh, and, and hopefully we're going to have Smokey on again uh, at some point to, to continue the story. But if you want, you can go check out uh, his page on Machal. Uh, where if, you, if you just Google Smokey Simon, uh, you can go uh, read his uh, read his page. Smokey, thank you once again for coming on 101.9 Chai FM and sharing your very important story. Okay. It's my pleasure. And Chag uh, Sameach. And I wish you well. That brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, yeah, check out uh, Smokey Simon's Machal page, uh, and you can get the full insight into what he's all about. Uh, But for now, that brings us to the end of the show, and we'll chat to you next week.